um, and this is where it brings us to the central truth when it says that wisdom from God must be continuously sought. It's not enough to have just an experience, but it is something that we have to have all of the time. And, and it's great, and I'm going to use this in a couple different senses. It's kind of like having a, it's kind of like having a good service or having an encounter with God. And what I mean by that is it's like maybe you go and it's time to pray. It's, it's time to get down to your bedside and pray. You begin to seek God, and you have a phenomenal experience. And it's like, wow, God really met me here uh, tonight or really met me here today. That was amazing. What does that mean, though? Is that, is that like a, do we look at it or view it as a fix? It's like, well, I touched God, so now I don't have to pray for three days because it was so good. You see what I mean? Is it a fix? Do we, do we view it as a fix? Or do we, do we need another one? Well, I, want to be, I don't need necessarily the moment as much as I need to be close to him. Does that make sense? I want to be as close to him as I possibly can. So wisdom is much the same way. It's like, okay, you run into a situation, you sought God, and he showed you how to get through it. Okay, I don't need you no more, God. Is that what we, is that what we say? Do we use, let me ask you this, do we use God only when we're in trouble? Do we seek his wisdom only when we're in need of it? Well, chips are down. I could lose my job. I could lose my business. I could lose my home. I could lose my car. God, can you help me with this? And in his power and his wisdom and his mercy and all of those things, he comes and he fixes the situation. He imparts on you wisdom. All of a sudden, your situation works out. Do we not realize that we can have that, not just in times of need, but we can have it all of the time? Sometimes I wonder if that's exactly why we ended up, why we were there in the first place, was because we weren't seeking his wisdom. It's possible. So, so we know it's something that needs to be continuous. It's something that we need to do all of the time. Under Let's Get Started, it says, The writings of Solomon are a product of the wisdom God granted him. A study of his writings, after looking at his biography, provides a picture of a man who had everything he needed, including wisdom. Yet, he did not carefully follow all the wisdom God had given him. The key word there is carefully. Carefully. And so, I want you to kind of do a quick scan over your own personal life real quick. Think about all the things that God has given you as an individual. Not just materialistic things. Think about your spiritual. Think about your family. Think about all the things, the scope of it, the broad scope of everything that God has given you. And it's probably vast. It's large. Now, ask yourself if you are carefully, when you do something carefully, what do you do? You take time, attention, um, effort into maintaining what it is that you have. When you do something carefully, if you're going um, to open something, like open a can, you know it's sharp on the edges, you do it carefully. So it's take, you, uh, you put time and attention and effort into it, making sure that everything is exactly right. Have we been careful with the things that God has bestowed upon us. In our own personal lives, have we been careful with them? Now that's, on a personal level, for me, I can definitely tell you no, I have not been careful in all of the things that God has given me. I've, I've, been, I've been reckless in some of the areas and things that God has gifted me. A little reckless, you know? Driving with my eyes closed at some point in time. And sometimes we make those mistakes and sometimes we, we we get off course, but this morning, 
ask yourself that question, have I been careful with the things that God has given me? And had I, have I carefully looked over my life to make sure that I'm being obedient and, and trusting in God in every area of my life, not just one or two? When he said opening it carefully, I just was going in the fridge to get a soap pop out, dropped it on the floor, rolled across the floor, and you're going to have to open that carefully. If not, right. it's, it's going to explode. Make a mess everywhere, and then wife's not going to be happy. There's going to be a mess I have to clean up. And you want to <laughs> make sure that you open it so that there's not a problem. Right. That's good. And so, so there we, could we say that there is a lot of dangerous things that we come across? Amen. Sharp edges. We need we need God's ability to maneuver through those and do it successful. We use it, you know, most people, myself included, takes God for granted. That's good. With his blessings. You don't know how blessed you are with your speaking, be able to talk, be able to hear, be able to see until you lose part of that. Right. Or maybe all of it. Oh, that's good, Jim. And I won't tell you what, it's rough. Sure. No, and, and we we just take God for granted, you know, we're just gonna be there tomorrow, you know. Right. And be able to wake up and see things and mm-hmm. wake up and hear things. Yep. But it's not gonna always be that way. Brings an appreciation for what God has given, realizing that it's a gift and not just not just something, but it is a gift. It's good, thank you. It says we may not have the wisdom and riches of Solomon, but we have all received abundant gifts from our Father. We can use them or squander them. At the end of life, our thoughts on the meaning of life will reflect how well we have utilized what God has given us. And I, I mentioned this last week, and I want to mention it again just for, for the sake of the lesson and for what we're talking about. And, and he said here, the lesson says, at the end of life, our thoughts on the meaning of life will reflect how well we've utilized what God has given us. You, you know what I think about? <coughs> I think about the fact that it all has to end. And it's inevitable. I can't get away from it. That, that I think that thing right there alone is the thing that, in, in a world where everybody wants control, and they all they all come up with technologies and they try to fix this and they try to fix that and all these things, but we know that you cannot last forever, and you will at some point your life will end, and that should that should really stir something up within us. Like whoa. Because we go through life so fast and so so crazy sometimes and reckless, and and we're going through it and we're just we're not really thinking about it. We're just trying to. We always have a goal in front of us. Isn't that what we always have is a goal in front of us? And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but when that's the only thing that we're shooting for, and there's no spiritual goal, there's always a material goal. I, I believe at the end of life we're going to be very empty because that's not really what we wanted, anyway, and that. It all is going to end. And that should really stir us to drive us closer to God and to, to, to seek his face because we're all going to have to confront him at some point. It says this lesson covers a group of writings that make up part of what is called the wisdom literature of Scripture. The writings will, uh, we will cover were specifically written by Solomon. Through the wisdom, uh, though the wisdom literature of Scripture includes Psalms and Job in most listings, Psalms, three wisdom books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, are interesting in that each is very distinct. One is a collection of wise sayings and teachings. Another ponders the nature and meaning of life. And the third is a love poem. 
we will be introduced to each through the course of this lesson. All right? Page 62, let's read our scriptures. Miss Hinton, are you available? Please. Proverbs 1.1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insights for simple knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Thank you. That's some good. That's some good stuff right there. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now, I want I want to point out as we get into this that there's always a theme usually in these lessons, and, and usually section one, section two, section three, they all connect a narrative. Okay. This the the narrative has already been set, which is these are the writings of Solomon. That's the theme. You're going to notice as we go from section one on defining wisdom, part two, finding love, um, and I believe let's see, part three is titled uh, reflecting on life. So it's going to switch gears a little bit. So it's going to seem like when we go through this, you're going to be like, oh, okay, wait a second. Why are you talking about uh, love now when we were talking about wisdom? These are the writings of Solomon. So that's, I want to make that point because it's going to seem kind of the flow of it's not going to connect directly. So as we go through this, I don't want you to be caught off guard and think, well, what are we talking about this for? Remember, the, the narrative is the writings of Solomon. So part one in defining wisdom, it says the book of Proverbs opens with wisdom for uh, godly living in a sinful world and outlines the book's purpose, to teach people wisdom and discipline, to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just and fair. We need that in our society today. We need a good healthy dose of wisdom. We need, um, we need people to learn how to live successful lives, not just physically and materially. I think we've pretty well got that down. In fact, I think we went too far, stepped over the line. We need to learn how to have spiritually successful lives. 
knowing what our future holds. And then we can let everything else begin to form around that spiritual change. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, you know, the saddest thing about this story about Solomon, about all things, that he was blessed with all the wisdom and knowledge and even riches, and then at the end he, he missed out on the whole thing. Yeah. That's, that's the sad part. It would really be sad for us to serve God all of our life and, you know, go to church and pay our tithes and do what we need to do mm-hmm. and then lose out at the end. And lose that at the end. Yes, sir. And I told you before, that yeah. scares me. Yes, it does. It, it does me too. And I, and I think there needs to be a bit of a healthy fear involved in that. I really do. There needs to be a bit of reverence. We'll talk about that here in a minute. That's a good, I'm glad you brought that up. Let me read this. He said, Proverbs offers lessons to walk in the ways of the Lord, such as fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. So he's talking here in this uh, first section, he's talking about being disciplined and um, really learning how to have a successful life. And I think we all agree that in order to truly have a successful life, it starts with a spiritual awakening. And so I'm, I'm not saying I know everything about this, but I've, I, I love doing studies on American revivals throughout history. I've been doing this for, for quite a while now. Uh, first big revival that America ever had was in 1857. It's called the Layman's Revival. And it was just ordinary people. And actually, of all places, you wouldn't believe it, it started in New York. And they were, um, there was a famine. Uh, I believe that, I think the potato famine was around that time. I can't really remember exactly. It was, maybe it was 1859. Uh, but anyway, there was this awakening, spiritual awakening. And I started tracing that. Like there was a big revival in 1857. There was also a very large uh, revival uh, in 1859. There was the Azusa Street Revival, which was just past the 1900s, like 1907, I think, and I could be wrong about that. Um, then the, we had the Industrial Revolution, and all these things begin to happen in America. One of the things that I, I've traced out and looked at is that every bit of America's success can be linked to directly to a spiritual awakening and revival. You can connect the dots if you're looking for it. Now, of course, if you're not looking for it, you're just gonna say, well, it was, it was this, and well, it was the Industrial Revolution alone, and it, uh, we, there was some smart businessmen. Listen, there was some market crashes that took place and happened uh, that just devastated people. That's actually what threw um, everything into a uh, into famine, into a lack of, I mean, it was, it was a horrible time, 1857, 1859, and through that era, very, very hard times. You've probably heard about things like that. And so those hard times and those hard situations pushed people to prayer. It pushed them. There was at one point in the layman's revival where they wanted to know how many people were praying in New York. They said there were so many prayer meetings that were going on, it was just unbelievable and so they said count they sent some some people I said count how many prayer meetings are actually happening within the area and they come back and they said we cannot tell you how many are going on but at any given moment 15,000 people are praying all the time wow now I want to ask you a question I was just talking about spiritual matters and spiritual things look at the state our country's in I wonder how much we're praying overall in any given area 
Think about that for just a minute. They were they had so many people lined up to go into these churches in, in prayer meetings that they were allowing them to give individual prayers. They were only allowed to be in the area from three to five minutes because they had to move them and put someone else in there because there were so many people waiting to pray. And all that prayer led to what? America beginning to blossom. Prosperity come, I mean, in floods. And God blessed. God blessed. I mean, a story unlike any other. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get into that. But I love that history of our nation. It's very rich with spiritual things and, and, and God moving. And so he says, The concept of fear of the Lord occurs 16 times in Proverbs. Fear is often regarded as a lack of courage. While our feelings toward God should not view him as a negative in any way, we must recognize his authority and draw close in awe. Yes, absolutely. Uh, if you look at... Um, Someone look up, Sean, look up uh, Matthew 10, 28. I want to read something because the lesson points out uh, a fear here, a, a fear of all. We would, we would um, coin that as a fear of reverence. Now, I know we're not supposed to cower or to be afraid of God in that manner, but if you'll notice that throughout the Bible, that when God showed up on the scene, everybody cowered. Nobody stood in pride in front of uh, God's all and awesomeness. Everybody was on their faces. That's the posture that you and I are supposed to take. It's like, well, but he doesn't want me to be afraid of him. He's a God that decides whether you go to heaven or hell. Is that not worth reverence? Amen. It says, do not fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Amen. Fear the one that can send your soul to hell Amen. and destroy the body. So that's the one you should be afraid of. And that's biblical. So now you know where I'm coming from. So he says this holy fear expresses it, uh, itself in reverential submission to God in his will, compelling us to worship and obey him. Uh, <coughs> this is why I believe, truly, even in our churches, this is why we need another great dose and a, another great move of the fear of the Lord. Connect that, I'm going to connect that with having spiritual awakenings and revivals. You cannot take the fear of the Lord out or uh, non-reverential things and doing uh, things that uh, are contradictory to God's word and contradictory to the presence of the Lord and take those and remove those and just say, now I, want to get, I still want to continue to get close to God. It doesn't work that way. There has to be a fear of the Lord, a fear to do something against a holy God. And Father, if I've done something to offend you, let me know what that is and I'll repent and get away from it. That's fear. And all good revivals start with that perspective. Amen. You know, I, I think it starts at your home. It does. And, 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 That's good. You know, kids, when we did something wrong and you knew it was wrong, whether it whether it was just the rules of your parents or whatever, you know, you were scared. You were scared. Because you knew the consequences were coming. Yep. You were at school. You feared getting licks from most <laughs> most of the time because you knew you were gonna get it at home too. Yep. There was a fear yes. of the consequences. Yes. Although we still did stupid things and you know, we were kids. Yes. But yet adults now well, kids don't even get that corporal punishment at school. There's no, there's no consequences. There's no consequence so to that. Actually. The older they get, 
the worst they get. Right. And, and you said you can see that in the, in this. Good. No, it's good. It starts at the home. So it starts also with parents <laughs> having guidelines and there being a punishment for violating that guideline. So let me ask a question. I'm going to let Haley speak. So let's, let's look at it like this. So we know that in the kingdom of God there are guidelines because we know that there's a such thing called sin. So if you know sin exists, then you know that if you step over the line, there's a difference between being righteous and being sinful. So we know there's a line there. So you want to be on the right, the right side of that line. So if you grow up in a household that doesn't have guidelines, how hard is it going to be for you to grasp the guidelines of God? Amen. Amen. It's going to be difficult because the things that go on in the home are fundamental. It's kind of like, um, it's almost like our society has been skipping steps. You skip a step. Uh, I've noticed this um, recently, and I'm not going to get in deep into this, but I've had some conversations uh, with people about their own Christianity. Just asking them. So when you, you know, asking them openly, when did you get saved? There wasn't a moment. It was an idea. It was an idea that was brought on by better living. No. No. You, you, you've skipped some steps. There's some steps that have been skipped here. You, you've missed out on, on that Christianity. This is what's happening today is Christianity is being redefined. you got to be careful. You better be careful and listen very closely because people will give it away. They'll tell you. And I was told directly, I was like, whoa, hold on a second. Where's the repentance of sin? This ain't just about being better people. That's a, being a better person is a, the, the byproduct of repenting of sin and turning to the Lord. It's not the front runner. Go ahead. Well, while we're on the topic of revival, which makes me think, um, I kind of have this thought that goes through my head about Netflix. Like, I have this subscription to it, but I always go back and forth about, like, keeping it or deleting it because they come out with awful movies but sure. the other day I clicked on Netflix and the huge banner was this movie called Jesus Saves and it was like the number one movie that day in the world on Netflix and I was like oh my gosh because you know they make a lot of awful movies so I was like what is this and I looked at it and it was talking about the revivals that happened in the late 60s early 70s in California and I right. was like yep. oh my gosh I want to watch this it was an amazing movie like I cried it was profound like it made me go and research all about the revivals i thought of you too because i know you always talk about yeah the revivals, revivals. yeah absolutely and oh my gosh that day I, I was just praying all day long i was like i hope that kids that get on netflix and even adults that have mm -hmm. netflix that see that huge thing on the banner like how many people you know did that probably touch that they watched that movie yeah and then did their own research and that's kind of Obviously, it's not a full-scale revival, but just for them to put that, that's almost an insurgence right there. Because yeah. I'm sure if you would have looked it up on Google, like how many people searched that that day, I'm sure it was immense. So yeah. I just thought that was amazing that them, even though they do come out with terrible stuff, mm -hmm. they did also produce something that was wonderful like that. And if mm -hmm. we do try to search it out, we can find stuff like that because right. that movie was amazing. And if you haven't seen it, I totally recommend that you go watch it because it was it was really good. Anything that's got to do with that, I'm, I'm definitely interested in it. One of the things you, you got to remember uh, is you know when the when those revivals took place, the population was a lot smaller than it is now. And so what happened was, and the way, the reason we call our nation uh, being founded on Christian principles is because the enormous amount of people that become followers of God and then they spread and had children throughout the country. And then they traveled 
to different parts and they populated those areas. And then those people traveled and they populated areas. And that's how it began to happen. It was this snowball effect. Amen. Not possible without those revivals. Uh, well, that, you know, that, that part about how many people it was, well, you know, that's just a small percentage mm -hmm. of the people in the United States because I don't know how many, 100, 150 million. Yeah, it's a lot, man. Something like that. There's a lot. There's a lot how less many billion there. are they in the whole world? Yes. See? Absolutely. And, and, it's, we're not looking at just the United States of America. God's going to come back for the whole world. For the whole world. Absolutely. And that's and that brings up another topic. We'll get to that later. Very good, Jim. Thank you. All right. So, so the blessing of gaining wisdom is validated through declarations that allude to physical blessings that represent spiritual, spiritual blessings. Wisdom is personified as a righteous woman. Wisdom is better than riches, such as precious metals and gems, because godly wisdom yields power, influence, and and long life. Now, I want, you, I want to key in on that. Godly wisdom yields power, influence, and long life. Yeah. And so, it was something that God had dealt with me about a long time ago, and, and I'm not going to rehash it, but basically it just comes down to the, the fact that God's people need to learn to make good decisions, be good decision makers, and that even deliverance, we always have this idea that deliverance is something that you come down to the altar and people lay hands on you and a demon leaves. That's the idea of deliverance. That's not, there, that's just one way of a deliverance. Did you know you can be delivered from right decision making? Making right decisions over and over and over again can deliver you from a situation. Would you agree that good dis, right decision making could deliver you from poverty? See, poverty is not something that you come to the altar and get prayer for. That's not something you ask God, God, get me out of this. Everybody lay hands on me so I can get out of poverty and, and, and get some money. No, you go to work, right? Use your head. And, it's, and this is something that the young people of today desperately need, is understanding that you are not here because somebody did you wrong. You are not here because the odds were stacked against you. You are here because you are a bad decision maker. I didn't say you were a bad person. You're a great person, but you're a bad decision maker. There's people probably in your life right now that you're thinking, it was like, I need to tell them that. <laughs> I need to tell them that they're a bad decision maker. But it's really what it comes down to. And if you really want to keep hashing that out, what that comes, that really breaks down into is the lack of wisdom. You don't have the wisdom. Um, I'm with Stacy. I feared my dad. Yeah. I feared the consequences. There were parameters in my home. Uh, Leif and I were talking about this on the phone <laughs> yesterday. And though we did not agree with the way things were done all of the time in that household, my dad gave me a gift. He taught me how to be a hard worker. He taught me how to use my head. He taught me and to make me understand that there were consequences to making bad decisions. When I found the Lord, it was like a perfect mesh. I was like, I just want to serve you. Right now. You, you've got something great for me. I want to go in your direction. No preconceived ideas. Yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes over the years. And I've, I've, I've made a lot of faults. But when it's talking about here, godly wisdom yields power, influence, and long life, we want our young people to have good long lives, right? We want our young people to prosper and to do well. So I, I say this, and I know that I'm sitting here with a, you know, a, probably an expanded demographic of, of people. Some of you have young children. Some of you don't have young children. You've got grandchildren. 
Okay, the demographics all over the place. If we are not stern about teaching our children and our grandchildren the right way, I promise you they're going to take the amount that you don't show them and they're going to turn it into whatever they want. And you've got a world that's, that's, a, that's a teacher. I'm not telling you that I agree with it. I don't. I completely disagree with what the world is doing. But they are teachers. And they are teaching your children. And if you're not there to intercept and to say, oh, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. No, you can't do that. That's wrong, too. If you're not there to intercept it, the world's going to have its way. It's, it's, called, uh, it's called indoctrination. I would, you would much rather you indoctrinate your child with morals and ethics and right living and wisdom than letting the world come in and convince them that they can be whatever they want. They can't be whatever they want. All right, so the way of godly wisdom is the right path for those who would follow the Lord. And wisdom is compared to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. The fall brought about the loss of wisdom, causing men and women to follow the path of sin rather than the way of the Lord. So what that lesson is saying is that specifically there is a right path. Would you agree with that? Specifically speaking, there is a right path. Now, the Bible describes that as a path that is narrow. And that many people will take a broad path to destruction. But the way that the Lord takes is a very narrow path. And it doesn't mean that it's hard to find. It means that not many people will choose it. It's there. I mean, I was given the invitation to serve the Lord many times throughout the years. And I denied, denied, denied. And then I was about 16 years old and I said, accept. So it's there. The invitation is there to take it. And so as I got older... And I was like, I know the Lord now, but now what's the next step? The next step is the growth process and going through things and making mistakes, learning from those mistakes, getting more wise, getting closer to God. So there is a specific right path. In our culture today, our children are being taught that there are multiple right ways and that actually being right is subjective. That being right is whatever you want it to be, and that's simply not true. We know that. And so... Will it stir up a little bit of heat in your family for you to make a stand for something? Yes, it's going to. And I'm not telling you to go in and stir up trouble. But I will tell you that you're going to have to make a stand. And we're going to have to make sure that the people that are around us know what we believe. We can't keep it a secret. Remember, we can't keep that thing hid under a bushel. we gotta let it. We got to let the light shine. And so by letting the, the love of Christ out, there's going to be times when we have conversations. Yeah, you know, John and I, we hang around each other a lot, but, you know, when I, I don't really get to know him unless I sit down with him and actually have a conversation with him. When you sit down with your family, you start having that conversation, we got to let them know where we stand. Hey, hey, listen, this is what the Bible says. Have you ever considered that? I'm telling you that as a strategy. Don't, don't, don't come at people with, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. People don't usually respond real well to that. I don't respond real well to that. <laughs> have you ever considered what the Bible says and then start that conversation it's going to take us making a stand I do not want to leave this life having hid what God has given you